Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. The winners are the, the people with the most stories. One of the great things about traveling is the people that you meet. I've slept in bus stations, like yeah. I've slept on people's floors. And it's already on fire, and then there's just a gigantic, huge explosion, like out of a Hollywood movie. It's not right or wrong, it's just different. We hired like 10 Chinese prostitutes to come be our audience. We were kidnapped by nuns in Puerto Rico. <laughs> not a good idea to be high when you're packing. You forget a lot of stuff. I got swine flu. By the time you've lived through it, it's just a good story. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Siegel. Thanks for listening. My guest today is Crystal Kelly. Before we get to Crystal, I do have some announcements. And first and foremost, our website is TravelTalesPodcast.com. You can go there. You can see photos of our guests. You can see articles that I've written, articles that some of the guests have written. You can see links to their social media. You can see links to our social media. And that is, of course, Travel Tales Podcast on Instagram, Travel Tales Pod on Twitter, Travel Tales Podcast on Facebook, and uh, you can write me at uh, TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com, TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. There are also links to iTunes and Stitcher Radio. And if you want to go there and subscribe, it's free as always. Maybe there'll be a time when I ask you for money. Maybe there'll be a time when I won't ask you for money. But for now, everything is free. And if you uh, listen on iTunes, please give us a good rating. That's all I ask, and uh, that's not much to ask, because it boosts our presence there and helps people find the show, and that's a cool thing. If you could do it, I'd appreciate it. I've often said at the top of the show many times that if you yourself think you uh, have some stories to tell, you have good travel tales, and you think you'd be a good guest on the show, write me a letter at TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com, and uh, we'll see if we can work it out. And that's how I met my next guest. Crystal Kelly wrote me and said, uh, you know, she travels a lot. She's got a travel site, uh, Chris Columbus, K-R-Y-S, Columbus with a K, dot com. And she has been to many, many countries around the world. She works in the horse business as a trainer and a rider and uh, has really led for such a young person a really interesting life so far. She's not even 30 yet. She's been to about 50 countries or more around the world. She's worked in places like India and Egypt, and uh, she traveled through uh, Mongolia and all these other places, uh, and a uh, really, really interesting person. So Crystal reached out to me, and we set up this interview, and it was great to meet her. She's got amazing travel tales, and she's currently uh, living and working in England, about an hour north of London where she continues to have many adventures. She drives a pink mini around, and you can follow her adventures on the Chris Columbus website. And she's just someone I can relate to who has just kind of gypsy blood in her, just uh, always moving on and uh, wants to have new adventures and see new things and experience life. And uh, it was great to meet her. So once again, if you know of someone or you yourself think you'd be a good guest for the show, let me know. Write me at TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. And we can make it happen. So please enjoy my conversation with Crystal Kelly. Yeah, so I got a funny nickname from a, from a friend, a traveling friend, Chris Columbus. She, she dubbed that my name, and uh, I thought that was funny. So my kind of travely name that I'm going by now is Chris Columbus. Is that your uh, uh, Twitter handle or Instagram handle? Yeah, that's my kind of Instagram kind of thing. And I have a little website blog with it now. It's, I mean, kind of a new blog. But yeah, so that was kind of like when she said that, she's like, Crystal, this is going to be your image. And I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, plug it. Now that you mentioned it, you can just plug, get the plugs out of the way. Okay, so my uh, travel website would be chriscolumbustravel.com. And of course, it's with a K, like my name. So it's K-R-Y-S columbus k-o-l-u-m-b-u-s travel.com and then i have just kind of my name crystal kelly crystal dash kelly.com um that's kind of my equestrian professional so because i am you know horse trainer and certified so i travel around a lot with horses and that's kind of my horse thing so yeah that's great but yeah facebook and instagram and all this is chris columbus travel 
Do people know you more through the, the horse thing or the travel thing? Well, I started traveling because of horses. And so most of my cir- circle was kind of horse related. And then, you know, obviously I, it's kind of funny because I was living abroad in so many countries. I've been gone from America the past seven years. And because I was living in those places, you know, I was interacting just with the local people. So I didn't really know very many expats in a lot of the places that I was because I was in remote areas where there were no expats. Um, So I mostly just knew horsey people. And then I only recently, like a couple years ago, started traveling like for fun, like for holiday and vacation (laughs) to explore. And so then I started kind of expanding my circle to, you know, travel people and um, yeah, just kind of, you know, everyone, everyone can be your best friend. So, yeah. <laughs> so start from the beginning and, and say where you're from and how you got into the horse, horsey life, the horsey set. Yeah. So I'm from California Which part? and, uh, near San Francisco. It's in a small town. It's a, kind of a depressing town, to be honest. Oh, Rio Vista. Which one? Yeah. Rio Vista. Hmm, if you've heard is? of Humphrey, the humpback whale. I haven't. Oh, you haven't? Oh, gosh. Humphrey the humpback whale swam up the Sacramento River, and the people of Rio Vista kind of rescued him and returned him to sea. Oh, well, that sounds friendly. That's a nice story. So that's the town that I'm from. Nothing interesting like that happened when I was living there. (laughs) When did that story happen? Uh, You know, I think it was maybe the 60s. Yeah, it was it was a while ago, no, it but it's kind of like usually if if no one's heard of Rio Vista and I mention Humphrey the Humpback Whale, it, <laughs> it kind of gets some interest. So, um, but other than that, yeah, there's nothing interesting in that town. Um, so I couldn't get out of there fast enough when I was yeah. growing up. But was, was, was it horse country? I mean, was is that how you got into that? No, and you know my family doesn't even really know where I got it from because they didn't know anything about horses. We didn't have horses growing up. Um, the closest kind of riding stable, so I eventually started taking riding lessons, but it was about an hour drive. And in California, it's you know it's quite expensive to ride horses, and Absolutely. you know we weren't like the wealthiest family in the world, and um, so you know to add in the price of the lesson and then spend you know, two hours driving there and back, and then I, you know, doing my writing lesson, and then, you know, all this kind of time and money and everything. So it wasn't kind of something easy for my family to allow me to do. Um, So I started out just taking writing lessons twice a month, you know, every other weekend. And I would kind of pick stalls and, you know, brush horses or whatever to help pay for it. And I've just always kind of, you know, been obsessed with horses. But, yeah, they didn't really know where I got it from. And I was, you know, very, even as a really small kid, very stubborn and determined that whatever it is I want in life, I'm going to get it. And I'm going to do it and I'm going to find a way. So I think they thought that the horse phase was, you know, cute, but that I would grow out of it. And then when I kind of became an adult and I was like, no, I'm going to work with horses and I'm going to travel around the world with horses. And they just kind of rolled their eyes like, um, no, get a real job. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I think after two or three countries, um, my family stopped telling me to get a real job. And they were kind of like, all right, I guess she's got it figured out. <laughs> well, so, did, yeah. did you go to uh, college back in the States or did you like uh, just go straight into the, the business? Um, I wasn't interested in college at all. Mm-hmm. It was too normal for me. <laughs> and I just, I'm not a classroom person. You know, I just, I can't learn that way. I can't focus. And so I found what was called an equestrian college. No math, no science, no history. Um, just horses. Yeah. And so I, I eventually went and did that. Um, it was only, what did I do? I think I only did like nine months program but you know it was super intense it's you know sun up till sundown almost and I was kind of grooming for a lot of the staff so that way on the weekend I would um kind of get extra riding lessons and I would um everyone had to kind of take turns feeding the horses on the weekend and I would kind of feed the horses on the weekend for other students who didn't want to kind of spend their weekend feeding horses and I would make five bucks or you know something like that Mm. and uh, so I was just kind of like engrossed in this kind of equestrian program and it was kind of a depressing place it was kind of in the middle of nowhere and you know it it was actually in west virginia wow and 
yeah, there's not, you know, I didn't have a car. I couldn't kind of leave the campus. And um, it's kind of a an intense program, like I said. So, you know, you're kind of in the middle of nowhere. And, you know, you can't do kind of every 20-year-old wants to go and right. kind of you know, be a 20-year-old. You can't really do that stuff there. You know, you're just kind of doing <laughs> horse stuff. Um, but I was fine with that because I just wanted to focus on it because that was kind of my, I think, inner life raft. I thought that if I could get really good with horses – because I always wanted to go overseas. I always wanted to work internationally, but I didn't know how. I knew it could be done, but I had no idea how. And I didn't know anybody overseas. I, I had never met a foreigner person. I mean, you know, <laughs> not that I knew of. And For, yeah, I, I was the way, just, foreigner person. I love the yeah, way exactly. That. I was just like in the middle of a small town in California to another small middle of nowhere place in West Virginia. And, you know, I'd kind of traveled a lot in America, but I didn't really meet. I didn't know anybody overseas, you know, so I didn't know how it could be done. I just knew that, no, if I get really good, I can make it happen somehow. So I think that was my focus. Were you looking to make it as a writer or a trainer or both? A bit of both. Um, I had kind of the goal of going to the Olympics and doing show jumping. And it's not that I don't still have that goal, but I definitely um, kind of sidestepped it a little bit and got new goals and kind of added to it, you know, like I was in India for a couple of years and, you know, you don't go to India to be an Olympic horse trainer. No, I was yeah. there because, you know, it was interesting for me culturally, but I was still there with horses. So I was kind of mixing my two loves, you know, so um, back at the kind of college, you know, when I was kind of focused, I was sort of determined, like, you know, with this kind of Olympic goal in mind, and so I wanted to be a really good show jumping rider. I wanted to be able to train horses for that. And I wanted to um, kind of travel the world competing, you know, against other amazing horses and riders. And that was kind of my fantasy, you know. Right. Well, the, um, well, we'll get to India in a minute because that's, you know, I got <laughs> to ask you about that. But what was the first yeah. trip overseas? What was the first one? So the first... Um, the first one was actually kind of the first job that I got, which was in Belgium. And it's quite funny. I mean, I was I actually turned 21 on the plane over there. And here I am, you know, an American, and I arrive in a country where they don't even care that, you know, at 21 you're legal to drink. No, that's only in America. Alcohol. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's it's in America. It's everywhere there. in the world except us. Exactly. So I arrive in this country and I'm like, woo, I'm 21. This is awesome. And they're like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, we've okay. been over it. Yeah, we, we, got, <laughs> we got past that hump okay. uh, years ago. <laughs> they're and, doing yeah, heroin so our, in the streets. And, you know, <laughs> yeah, you, you're happy exactly. to get a beer. <laughs> so that was actually kind of, it's not that I'm, you know, drinking or whatever. But, you know, it was just kind of funny that when I arrived, and, you know, it's such a monumental, I think, birthday in America. Then I arrive and right. everyone's like, okay, 21, whatever. Yeah, it's just That's birthday. not a special number. Yeah, it's just another birthday. And so I arrived and I was, um, you know, it's a long fly and I was jet lagged, but I was just kind of so excited to be there that I just kind of went to work. And um, Actually, the woman that I went to work for, she actually, a few days later, flew to America for a competition. So, oh, okay. yeah, for me, it was kind of funny. You know, I came over here thinking I'm going to kind of ride under her. And then she disappears for a month to go for this competition in America. And she kind of saw me ride. Um, she gave me a horse, which she, um, at the time, kind of mentioned to me that it was a special horse, but I didn't fully know why. And it was kind of her test for me. So when she came back and she saw how well I did with that horse, um, I wasn't after that moment kind of a groom. So that whole month that she was gone, you know, I had to feed all the horses and pick stalls and ride my kind of daily horses and do a whole bunch of just really heavy kind of physical labor, you know, right. lifting hay or heavy things and and whatnot. And um, when she came back and she saw that I was doing well, after that, I was just in charge of riding horses. And I was taking a lot of private lessons with her and her coaches. And um, I was getting a lot of like, I mean, she was an Olympic rider. She's been to the Olympics five times, this woman. Oh my God. Um, so she was a good role model to have. And she was, um, I think she was very realistic for me. Like, 
um, you know, when you meet somebody and you really look at them and you're like, wow, I could actually kind of end up like that person. And that could either be a good thing or a bad thing, you know, like, (laughs) so I kind of, I had that moment where I saw her lifestyle and she was amazing, but I also saw all of the hard work that she kind of put into her life and how much it consumed her and how much she didn't get to kind of do a lot of other things that she wanted to do with her life because of it. And that's when I sort of was like, okay, do I really want to keep pursuing this as hardcore as I've been, or do I want to kind of do it in alternative ways. So that's how I ended up kind of going to Egypt as my next job. Well, so. that's a big jump from Belgium to Egypt. I mean, if in terms yeah, of exactly. like, it's not like a, you really went feet first. Well, go. yeah. And, the, <laughs> and honestly, like for horses, the, the main place to be is actually Europe. That's like the horsey hub. And anyone who wants to be a pro needs to be in Europe. More so, so than Kentucky? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I guess it's a different kind. Well, for I guess show wanted, jumping. There's a difference between racing and show jumping. So you're, you're exactly. more of a show jumping. Show jumping. Yeah. Okay. So for racing, yeah, Kentucky and, you know, cowboy stuff, go to Texas or, you know, whatever, yeah, sure. you know, everywhere Rio. has its kind of region. Yeah. But for show jumping, yeah, That's you got to be in yeah. Europe. You got to uh, be yeah, in it does Europe. Seem you got to be in Netherlands, Belgium. Yeah. These kind and, of countries. Uh, UK, where you are right now, is very big there. It is. Yeah. Um, so, you know, this is kind of the area that I should have been. Right. And I was like, nah, I'm going to go to Egypt. <laughs> yeah, so why? Why there, of all places? Um, I went there, to be honest. Horses was my sort of means of going there. But I think the why, like the reason why I wanted to go there, was nothing to do with horses particularly. Oh, well, that makes sense. Um, my whole family was military. And by my whole family, I mean my mom, my dad, my brother, my uncles, oh, wow. my grandparents, my grandma. Everyone that I know in my entire family has been in the military at some point in their life. So you're like the black and sheep. So, you're like the, uh, you know, the uh, the one that got away. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, I unfortunately, you know, especially with the whole kind of 9-11 and my brother ended up going to Afghanistan and my dad kind of had to train a lot of troops to go overseas in this time. So I was raised um, with this kind of military attitude mindset. And, um, unfortunately, you know, because of what was happening, you know, in the Middle East, there was a lot of negativity around the Middle East, um, with kind of the circle that I knew. And it's mostly stereotypes, you know, it's dangerous over there. It's not safe for women and, you know, never look a man in the eye and, you know, it's just all kinds of, I don't know where we get this information from, but it's, it's there. And so there was this kind of dark kind of cloud over anywhere in the Middle East. And I was just really curious to see it with my own eyes. And, you know, I had never seen a girl in hijab. I had never, I didn't know why they wore hijab. I didn't know why they had burqa or niqab, you know. And I was just really curious about everything. And I just really wanted to know the reason why and to kind of understand it, the culture, and to kind of, um, shed light on a lot of stuff that I just didn't have answers for. So that's great. Well, this, but this is post nine eleven. You went. Yeah. So I actually went to Egypt in uh, two thousand eleven. Oh, okay. And Ten years after. It was pre almost yeah post Arab Spring then, or is it? Well, yes, yeah. and you know, it. My brother was in Afghanistan the same year that I was in Egypt, and then I had a cousin in Bahrain. Mm. So. You know, my family already had a couple of, you know, people kind of in the Middle East. So when I said I was going to Egypt, they're like, what? No, like, that's too many of you guys. <laughs> and um, yeah. wow. but, I mean, you know, it's not like there was a war happening. But then funnily enough, the day that I arrived was the day that the Egyptian revolution happened. Oh, um, you know, I think it's you. I'm starting to think it's you. <laughs> yeah. So you so, get in there and it's just chaos it must be it was so yeah what, it was total chaos were you, and I mean, that's kind of frightening what were you were you going to cairo and staying in there or were you going to somewhere else in egypt i was going to cairo okay um, so you're in the epicenter of everything happening. I, yeah i was in the middle of the middle of the middle and i was actually kind of in the plane when it happened um i had kind of three flights to get to cairo and I think I was flying from California to New York, which, you know, is what, five, six, seven hours in right. the plane. Right. 
And um, when I landed, I had like 15 missed calls and like, I don't know, a dozen voicemails, mostly from my mom. Just like, oh, my God, it's all over the news. There's stuff happening in Egypt and you need to just catch the first plane back home. And I told my mom, I was like, okay, mom, calm down. (laughs) Whatever happens, you know, I'm halfway there. I'm not coming back. I'm sorry. And I'll be fine. (laughs) And if not, at least I, you know, die doing something cool. (laughs) <laughs> don't tell that so, to your mother i know i know exactly she's and, worried um, sick already i know so i get on the plane and i i show up and you know it's it is chaos and actually the first month that i was there um they did shut off all of the phone and the internet and there was absolutely no way of communicating with anyone even within egypt let alone outside of egypt so while you're so, la- so landing the like airport when everything was still working and it's all were flights still disrupted and delayed? I would think they would have so, to be, right? Well, because it was literally the day that it started, nothing had kind of um, caught up to it yet. So People still I up kind of work. snuck in <laughs> just as everyone was starting to leave. Okay. And they actually, um, I know that our embassy, like our American government, was evacuating people and they weren't letting kind of you know, foreigners stay. All of the expats did leave the country. Um, and you still and all of the, Yeah, and I, I made it in. And I remember I did get some kind of notification at some point, I think, um, you know, about the evacuations or something. But I, you know, I ignored it. And I was like, whatever, good luck finding me. You know, I'm in yeah. horse stables. <laughs> and um, so, I, yeah, I, I kind of slipped in somehow just before... Because after that, you know, it, it got too out of control, and then you know the pl- the planes were just kind of evacuating people, um, and they were kind of routing flights, you know, to Greece so that they could get as many people out of Egypt as they could. So um, you land, you know. and everything's going crazy, and then do you go to the U.S. embassy and at least check in and tell them you're there? Or? No, of course not. No, because then I would have to evacuate or something. Oh, right. They wouldn't let me back, you know. So no, I just I went to the stables and um, you just go to the stables like business. Uh, yeah, stable. yeah, yeah. I went to the horse stables and um, you know in the horse stables. So in Egypt, um, you know it's only kind of the wealthy people who ride horses who pay for horse lessons. Right. And this was a, a stables that had show jumping horses. So it was still it was still in my kind of realm of knowledge and kind of goals. I could still jump and do you know what I wanted to do. But, you know, it, it's kind of in a, um, a wealthier area, so it's kind of a gated community, let's say. It's completely kind of, there's a, a wall surrounding the entire kind of community, and then there's these huge houses kind of in compounds with their own kind of, you know, gated community within the community. And so it was, you know, everything was walled in um, at the horse stables. Everything was... Um, and it is an actual wall, you know, there's an actual gate yeah. and it gets locked every night. And, um, so I wasn't allowed to leave the stables, uh, for the first month during the revolution because, um, one, there was no police in the entire country, but also there was a curfew at like 12 in the afternoon and, um, no one was going anywhere to be honest. So horses weren't getting food, um, the grooms, there had been originally, I guess, seven grooms that were supposed to be working because there was 40 horses, and they all fled to be with their family. So there was actually only two grooms when I arrived. So I was so busy just kind of taking care of the horses and making sure that they got out of their stalls and got exercised and brushed and food and water and, you know, basic things that, you know, I didn't even, I think the time kind of flew quite quickly. And then I was also learning to speak Egyptian Arabic, um, Oh, so wow. did you get uh, fluent at that? I did, yeah. Um, I would just kind of point at things, and you know, they would tell me in Arabic <laughs> well, the word for okay. for that is, and, and then I could eventually, you know, obviously in Arabic, it's it's kind of a it's a very different language than English. You know, they have sounds that we don't have in right. English. So in the beginning, there were certain noises I just couldn't make, and I couldn't comprehend it all, and um, you know, I didn't know because they have in their language kind of a difference between. Um, when you're speaking to a man versus when you're speaking to a woman. And because it was all men, I was only ever hearing like when they were speaking to men. 
and I never kind of heard them using the female words. So after kind of the revolution finished, and actually I learned a lot of Arabic in the time because, you know, none of them spoke any English. How long were you um, there? I stayed in Egypt for about a year wow. uh, the first time, and I ended up going back again uh, a couple years later. Well, give me uh, one incident of, you know, all the, of all the stuff you heard. Um, what were some of the... You said there was all these misconceptions we have about it. What, what was the biggest misconception you had dashed immediately? Like when you went there, you say, this is not a, anything what I thought it would be. Well, in the beginning, when you don't understand the language especially, and you see the men standing like six inches apart from each other's faces and spits flying everywhere and they're shouting and it's like such a harsh language, you know. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're watching and you're like, oh my God, they're going to kill each other. And then you spend some time there and you like learn the language and then you realize like they're just so hilarious. They're just joking and laughing and they're like bestest friends and like <laughs> it's, you know, they're just so funny and fun kind of people and they're very, very friendly. And I thought, you know, I'm blonde and I'm quite tall and yeah, I'm very out. white. I stand out. And, you know, there's a lot of stereotypes, you know, because I am a woman and I'm there solo. You know, a lot of people told me, you know, oh, wear a fake wedding ring or whatever, you know, so the men don't kind of harass you. I didn't do any of that. And I, you know, I was quite young. I think I was 21, um, like I said. And, you know, I was worried. And it's not that, you know, I can kind of wear a mini skirt through the streets of Cairo or something because right. you can't. Um but as long as you are respectful, you know, I wore jeans every day. Um, I wore, you know, my riding clothes. I wore normal polo shirts. So, you know, T-shirts that kind of cover my shoulders. Obviously, the buttons are buttoned. I'm not, you know, showing anything. Um, but I'm not, you know, doing anything. I'm not wearing anything kind of. You didn't have to cover your head or anything like that? No, no. I'm not having to wear a hijab or a scarf or something. You know, it's it's normal. It's just being mindful, basically. And... Um, you know, I, I got treated with a lot of respect and actually I was so surprised how respectful they were that I actually started to think back in my time in America and I started questioning like American men's behavior, like, wow, the men here opened my door and they like, it would be a drama if I tried to pay for something in a restaurant or something, you know, (laughs) that would never happen like for their honor, you know? And in, you know, in America or something, it's kind of like, I don't know. I think we have this kind of, to be super feminist in America, we have to, you know, demand that we pay for our half or something. And it was just kind of really nice, you know, and it's not even in a dating context. It's just like normal kind of stuff. But, you know, it was just kind of really nice to have them just, I don't know, going out of their way to just show you so much respect, you know. Did you interact with many other women there? I mean, did you meet local women? Yeah, definitely. Um, I had a lot of women. Uh, One of the women that I uh, kind of, I got really, really kind of close to her because she fascinated me because her life was just so different to mine. Um, She was some girl that I had met. um, It was actually in the mall. So when the revolution kind of died down and I was allowed to wander around, you know, I went and I checked everything off my list. I saw the pyramids and I saw this and I saw that. And then, you know, one day, uh, my uh, kind of coworker and I just wanted to go hang out somewhere kind of normal-ish. So we went to the mall. And there was this girl. And, you know, she's got the hijab kind of covering her hair. And she was so excited to see um, foreigners, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, that she just kind of sat us down and was, like, bringing us tea and was just, like, talking. She wasn't even trying to sell us anything. She was just like, here and this and that. And she was just kind of telling us her life story. And um, I met a lot of women in Egypt, and they were just so happy to share with me everything, you know, um, their life, their thoughts, their religion, their culture, you know, how they grew up, you know, just everything. They were just so happy to share with me. And they were, um, you know, very kind of open-minded also to hear my story and very curious. And they were just all so lovely that I kind of really fell in love with the country, you know, for, for the women specifically. Um, did it, so did they, were they surprised that you would do what you did alone? Like, Oh, definitely. Yeah. The first, the first question like they them, asked you know. me was, yeah, where where's are your, your where's your husband? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then when that didn't work, you know, are you here with your family? 
And I was, no, no, neither. <laughs> I'm here by myself. And did they and say, would you I, like to meet a husband? <laughs> well, no, but they, I think, I don't know if they felt sorry for me or something for not having a husband, but they kind of like felt it was their personal job to like take care of me or be my family member, I think, mm -hmm. because I was so far from family. They felt they had to be my sister or aunt or mom or, you know, whatever role they decided. And so they would just kind of treat me like a family member after that, you know, mm -hmm. which was great. So... Um, but yeah, no, I didn't have them kind of signing me up for an arranged marriage with somebody. <laughs> <laughs> so that lasted a year. Yeah. Yeah. That was a year. And is that when India came into the picture or when did India happen? Um, India happened, uh, I think maybe not immediately after Egypt. I went back to Europe for a bit. I went to Romania. Wow. Um, now that's a different one where you, you were working or was this... Also work. Well, it was kind of an accident. Um, I had, when I was working that job in Belgium, a Romanian girl had come to work there. And she told me this stories about her country, you know, Romania. She was in Transylvania specifically. And she would just tell me about gypsies and gypsy gold and Dracula and I don't know, just all <laughs> kinds of stories. And I was like, you know what? I don't know when, but I'm going to come see you someday. So be ready for that. And sure enough, when my kind of job died down in Egypt you know I kind of finished you know what I was going to do there but I didn't quite have enough money to go back to America you know it's a long flight and I also didn't really want to go back to America I wasn't I still wanted to kind of travel around so I booked a flight to Romania because it was not that expensive and I was in Romania for not even I think two days and I got kind of voluntold for a job there um, so I ended up staying there for for three months um, the first time, and then I ended up going back again, kind of after that. So okay, in the, still in the horse trade. Yeah, still with horses. And I, you saw your um, friend. Did you see your Romanian friend there? I did. Yeah. So I went. Um, I just kind of messaged her. Like, oh, Romania is amazing, um, and it's kind of one of those places that I think a lot of people don't think about going to, and it's like super cool. So yeah, it's not on the beaten track of uh, tourist spots. No. Well, and that's kind of its charm also, you know, mm -hmm. so I was um, kind of the first time that I went there, I wasn't in Bucharest in the main city. I was in uh, Sigishara, which is um, kind of, it's a beautiful sort of citadel and the city itself is, is quite nice. Uh, but there's, yeah, there's no tourists there. Um, I mean, you might find some kind of European tourists or something, but not, not really, um, definitely nobody speaking English, really. How did your, and, Arabic, did your Arabic help? <laughs> <laughs> it didn't. <laughs> and um, <laughs> So then you had to yeah, learn a whole new language. I had to learn a whole new language, and I was kind of like, oh, man, I spent all this time learning Arabic, and I've got to do this. Um, but, you know, it was, it was a lot of fun. And, again, the people in Romania were just, like, so much fun. Mm -hmm. um, and they just had so many interesting stories because – you know, um, communism there kind of finished the year that I was born, 1989. Yeah. So anyone my age and older has been kind of alive in communism and dealing with this stuff. So they would share with me stories. Yeah, you missed it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I had, I had missed it or I ended it. And, <laughs> and you know, he... Um, kind of the people that I would meet there would just share all kinds of, even if it wasn't about them, but their parents. Or, yeah, they had a kind rough of one. Uh, things and, was it Ceausescu? Well, was, that, was that the main guy there? I think Ceausescu. Yeah, the, yeah, the kind of evil guy. Yeah, 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 he did a lot of, a lot of stuff. And, and yeah, they, so there was uh, just they so They him down, I think, firing squad, I think. They did. Yeah, yeah they did in, in Bucharest. And I kind of went later on, I went back and worked in Bucharest. And I kind of went in that area where he was shot down. And I got the big story. And I was like, wow, yeah. <laughs> why don't we learn about this kind of stuff in America? I don't know. But it was, like, really fascinating. Um, but, yeah, it's a, it's a really special country. So, yeah, I was I was there um, with horses, which was more special because, you know, you get to see the countryside and you get to see the, like you said, off the beaten paths on, on a horse, you know. So I was actually kind of a, a guide for um, kind of tourists would come to ride the horses on trails and I would take them out on trail rides. So I was just running around the countryside in Romania 
on horses. So it was it was awesome. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So <laughs> Romania, and then uh, when does India come in? Get me to India. Yeah. So then after Romania, I was just really obsessed with going to India. Um, I'd I'd been thinking about it for a while, and it was on my list. So I, the opportunity came, so I took it. Um, and I originally went just kind of for two weeks, but it was, it, you know, it, anyone who's been there, it's, the place is almost too much. There's just too much to do and see and look at that, you know, a couple of weeks just isn't going to cover it. Mm-hmm. So I had to go back. So I, um, I couldn't find any information on the internet about horses. I couldn't find any stables or no numbers to call nobody to email. So I was like, you know what, I'm just going to book a ticket. And I'm going to find people with horses, and they're going to hire me. So I'll worry about that later. And that's kind of what I did. I, I booked a ticket. I didn't have any kind of job plans. Um, but it was kind of cheap enough that I got a cheap room. Um, and then as soon as I met one kind of stables that had horses, you know, I ended up turning down that job. Um, but as soon as kind of one stables met me, it's kind of like, you know, because there's only a handful of horse stables in the entire country. So as soon as, you know, the word got out that there's an American and she's really good with horses and she's here in India, they just like all started contacting me, you know, come here, come here. And um, so I ended up staying in India for two years just because every time I would kind of leave one job or one job would kind of finish, I would just get another kind of offer from another place somewhere else. And this just kept happening. And, and the offer was always better, you know. So I just kind of kept, you know, bouncing around doing that. Um, wow. Yeah, so so two years I was there. And I, I actually, I look back on it. I have no idea how I, how I handled two years because it's a pretty intense place. Um, again, for a kind of single yeah. blondie girl. I was, in, um, um, I was in India for three weeks and it was, it was intense. It is. It's very intense, and uh, I was there kind of consistently without kind of getting a break in between, and it it, it took a toll on me. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. So, I mean, I've seen. I was traveling with some like blonde women in in India, and uh, it wasn't. Uh, it was rough on them, you know, just being stared at, being you know everything else. Uh, people would come up to them and touch them, touch their hair. Oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, in New Delhi is where I kind of based myself. So I, I got myself an apartment. I had a horrible incident with one of the first jobs that I had there. And I um, kind of quit that job and became homeless in India for 24 hours. I had oh, to scramble to sounds lift. sounds like the worst thing ever. It was pretty horrible. Um, but the job condition, they lied about everything and everything was just like horrible, horrible cir- circumstance. So I ended up kind of homeless for 24 hours. And it's a, you know... A horrible, horrible situation, especially as a woman, you know, to end up in that kind of situation. So to ensure my kind of safety, I got myself an apartment in New Delhi um, and I kind of made that my home base. So whenever I kind of got other job offers in India, I still paid the rent for my apartment back in Delhi. So that way, you know, if it didn't work out or if I flew in and they didn't kind of deliver on what they promised, I could go back to my home base kind of. Right. Um, and that was probably one of the smartest things that I did um, was I kind of um, started putting my safety first and I started kind of um, making sure that I didn't kind of have to rely on, you know, the work or others, you know. I mean, obviously, you know, I, I could use some money kind of a thing, but I still have a little bit of a safety net. Um, so I did have to learn the hard way, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, it's definitely, um, you know, even in New Delhi, which is, it's kind of funny to think about because there's so many tourists that fly in and out in New Delhi, but it's like you think it'd be the most cosmopolitan place. Exactly. And, you know, I got harassed there every time I left my apartment and I lived in that same apartment for two years, you know, and I, every time I left and it's the same people living in that street, you know, was it and, did it ever get physical or was it Oh yeah, all the time. Oh, I'm no. actually still to this day in the habit of holding my arms over my chest when I'm in a crowd of people. Because oh. I just they were grabbing my, you know, chest. And you know, it's not like a brush, like a, no. a gentle breeze. It's like they grab and they lock on. 
Oh and they God. squeeze things and they, you know, whatever it is they want to do. And there's, you know, a crowd of them. So you turn around to find out which one it was. And, you know, they're all staring at you like they did it. So you have no idea. Jeez. And it happened so frequently. Um, so, yeah, I, I kind of got, um, you know, there's days where you just don't want to leave the house oh. because it's going to happen and there's nothing you can do about it. Um, and, you know, I, I spoke Hindi. I mean, you know, I wasn't super uh -huh. hardcore fluent, but I knew all of the words to say to get them to back off. I knew um, how to speak kind of normal stuff. Um, the biggest kind of help that I found was if you make friends with the women, you know, the aunties, right? they will kind of shame the men mm -hmm. for you. Um, and they'll kind of protect you and take you under their wing, even if it's, you know, kind of an auntie you haven't met yet. Like she's kind of selling tea downstairs or something. But as soon as you kind of look to one of the Indian women for help, they will go kind of mama bear, you know, and just kind of oh. guard you fiercely. So that was a big kind of help. Was the, um, um, I mean, uh, don't take this the wrong way, but I mean, after a while, uh, after a few months of that, did you start to feel like was the job worth it i mean it must have been a hell of a job to put up with that well and that's kind of how i i agree it's it, it wasn't um and that's how i ended up leaving i think for a while i got stuck um you know like i said i i would kind of do one job and i would finish it and i was like okay you know what i'm done with this now's my chance i gotta go um, and then, you know, I'd get kind of another phone call or another offer and it was, you know, triple the money or it was this, or, you know, it sounded really cool. And I, oh, you know, I can stay for a little bit more. And, um, you know, there is so much good things about India. You know, there is a lot of fascinating places to see and, you know, culturally, you know, North, South, East, West, it's all different. You know, the people are so yeah. different and, you know, it's just such a colorful kind of vibrant country. So, you know there is kind of a lot of differences to make it kind of, oh, but I haven't seen this place over there yet, and I really want to see it. So, you know, I, I kind of, I think, it took me two years to feel like I kind of saw everything that I wanted to see and kind of experience everything I want to experience. But also, there was so much about their culture that I felt I wanted to understand, Um because it is so complex, and unfortunately, there is a lot of, you know, negative things. Like, you know, I was really curious about honor killings or the caste system right. or, you know, is all of the stuff that we hear on the media true and this and that? And, you know, why is there so much trash everywhere? How come nobody's picking it up? You know, mm -hmm. I just wanted to kind of know the reasons, and it took me a long time to kind of get my answers. Um. So, yeah, it, it was such a complex place. I think I needed those two years to kind of figure it out. But, yeah, definitely after the two years, I was like, you know what? I can't do this anymore. And I have been very lucky. I mean, it's not necessarily just luck. You know, I have a lot of kind of tricks of the trade to keep myself safe, and I'm constantly kind of using them. But at some point, you know, right. I might not be so lucky or whatever, and something, something might happen, and then, you know, I don't want to put myself in something kind of a situation that I definitely like, you know, would regret later. Well, so, what did yeah. you learn about the, uh, about the trash and the caste system and the honor killing? I mean, in a nutshell that you didn't know before. I mean, <laughs> I, mean I know that's a lot, but I mean, I, yeah. I know the caste system goes way back and I think the British uh, really helped it along. Well, as yeah. As a way of controlling yeah. people. Yeah, you know, and, definitely. And, and it worked. That structure, yeah. And they've kind of <laughs> yeah. kept it. And, and you see, you still yeah. see the British influence everywhere. Oh, it's yeah, definitely. That part of it. Um, the trash, I think, just comes with uh, just having a billion people in one place, man. It's, well, and, you know, a lot people. of it is. It's just too many A lot people. of it, exactly. And a lot of it is also kind of lack of education, mm -hmm. um, you know, when you think about India. And, you know, Egypt is kind of the same. And a lot of these kind of third world countries. The majority of the people, you know, when you meet Indians who are living in America, well, okay, they're Americanized. Right. They're very modern. They're very westernized. They think like us, you know, because they are basically Americans. Um, and, you know, a lot of the Indians in India 
are kind of lower class, yeah. uneducated. Um, you know, they can't even read and write in their own language. Yeah. So, it's you know, poverty. they never went Anywhere there's school. poverty, I mean, it's going to be exactly. dirty. <laughs> it just is. Exactly. They got bigger so things to they, worry about. You know? Well, and their form of education, especially the men, let's say, you know, they are kind of raised with a lot of beliefs, which as a Westerner would never cross our minds, right. um, some of the stuff that they kind of preach. But they're raised thinking this is how you should treat women or this is how you should do this or this is, you know, where you throw your trash. And they just have it so kind of ingrained in them since they're, you know, small that they they believe that and they kind of teach that to their kids, you know. So it's kind of a vicious circle. And, right. you know, it is quite strange. You know, I can give one example. I was talking to a to a woman who was forced to do an arranged marriage when she was quite young. And she didn't love the man, and um, she kind of – she has a daughter who was only a few years younger than me. Um, and as she was kind of telling this story, she couldn't quite speak English, so actually her daughter was translating. And she starts telling me this kind of tragic, heartbreaking tale about how she kind of married this man she doesn't love, and she's still married to him to this day, and she's kind of like a slave. You know, she can't really leave the house. And then she kind of realizes, like, it's her daughter <laughs> that she's about to also make have an arranged marriage kind of quite soon. But at the same time, you know, what it, she's not doing anything differently, let's say, to change her daughter's situation. She, her daughter still has to have an arranged marriage, still has to be kind of family approved. And, you know, so... On the one hand, she's kind of in tears telling me her sad situation. And then on the other, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, but my daughter's going to do it next week or, you know. Right. So it's it's kind of a strange mix, you know, like, wait, but you guys can kind of see that not everything is working. Right. And just, <laughs> instead of helping to change it, you're just kind of like still continuing it. Yeah. So I think that was probably the hardest part about um, being there was wanting to help or change or make a difference and then just, you know, not being able to. Right. So. Did you get sick? I, I, I did. I still had my worst food poisoning ever in India. Did you? Yeah, you know, I, I did, common. but it is, and I think I got sick. Uh, I can I got, I got sick that I can remember once that oh, was wow. quite well, two awful. Two years, that's pretty good. Well, you know, you kind of build an immune. Yeah, I was going to think you probably build. I was, your... I was eating in the local dabas, the local street foods, like every day, and I was, you know, I was living in really remote places where there wasn't even bottled water where I was living. Oh no! Which is a horrible situation as yeah. a foreigner. Um, and you know, there wasn't any. You know, I like Indian food, but every day, three times a day for no, two I years, you know, it. I want a pizza. No man. Yeah. So, and I uh, I like Indian food too, but even after like two weeks of it straight, I was like, I'm in. Exactly. I need, I need something enough. else. I need something else. Exactly. Whatever. I want something that stays in my not stomach. Not a problem I have in like India or Thailand. I'll eat that for years every day and no right. problem. You know? Exactly. Yeah. So, you know. It's really uh, heavy. People forget that it's really heavy. It is. And I'm working with horses. So yeah. I'm eating this food and then they expect me to go ride six horses. And I'm like, I want to sleep. <laughs> So, you know, I had I had a lot of struggles with food. I wasn't getting sick, but it was more so I did build an immunity. Um and I I wasn't really getting sick, but like you said, it's just heavy and it makes you sluggish and you just don't feel kind of fit and yeah. and healthy, you know. So, I had to be kind of really careful with you know, I figured out which foods kind of Work. were helpful to yeah. me and what worked and I kind of tried to stick to those and I you know I ended up you know in daily obviously you could find kind of yeah, exported yeah, or or something. yeah so I would kind of splurge and you know it's awful to pay five dollars for a you know candy bar that you get in America for 50 cents yeah. but you know it Sometimes in the moment it was kind bar. of like exactly I just needed it you know <laughs> <laughs> so well, was it? Do you have the same thing? Okay, I'm going to ask you what you miss most about America. I'm going to see if you give the most <laughs> common answer that I get every time. So, go give me the top three things you missed about America. The top three things top so the food. Things. Well, we, we can do. Well, food is usually amongst them. So, give me your top three things. 
You know, well, and it's almost Halloween, so I'm going to have to say festivals. Is that the correct okay. way of saying it? I don't know, holidays. Like kind of made, and things like that, 4th of July. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, I think the atmosphere in America, I think we take our, our celebrations very seriously, which right. I, I quite appreciate. Um, so I miss that. Um, oh, gosh, what else? Oh, I guess everything in America is just so comfortable. Yeah, it's um, just easy. It's for you. It's so easy. It's so, so sometimes I miss that, but not always. Yeah. Um, you know, when I was in India for that long, I was definitely like just wishing that things could be kind of simple. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I, I think that's about it. You know, the most um, common answer I get. What? Ask, uh, what they miss, uh, what the expats miss is uh, Mexican food. Mexican food. Yeah, I do. <laughs> but you know, I, I make, I make my kind of, I cook for myself now and I always make Mexican food because that's what I'm used uh, see, to. <laughs> see, you do that. Yep. Especially so, the California. So I, I take care of that here. Yeah, exactly. That's that's my staple diet. Yeah, well, if you can so, make it, that's a, but even getting the ingredients, that's not so easy. That's tricky. I mean, I have to, you know, the salsa doesn't quite taste the same or, you know, whatever. You get care but packages you can, from home, like sending you like <laughs> Cholula or Tapatio or something. Yeah, exactly. Well, here in England, it's not too bad. I can find oh, yeah, some yeah, yeah. some stuff, which I'm quite happy to find because I haven't seen these things in seven years. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, definitely, you know... You, you find some products that like they tried really hard what they think is salsa or you know whatever oh, know. They, they gave so a good effort i i know i tried to make enchiladas and the sauce that they gave was like a pasta sauce it was very strange <laughs> very strange um so, so i had to just kind of google you know how to make how your to own make salsa it, right <laughs> yeah where do i get cilantro um, <laughs> yeah. Well, they, yeah they call it rocket is that rocket? Is that cilantro? I think so. Okay. Uh, you call I, yeah, something rocket. It's it's either that's certain lettuce or cilantro. That's I true. Fifty fifty. <laughs> in the UK. Um, so did did the UK come after India? No, no. Um, I left India. I think four years ago, something like this. It's been a while. I've I've been traveling around for seven years now. Like I said, so okay. I, I've been to quite a few places. Um, I think. I've worked in about 13 places and then, you know, traveling kind of for fun and stuff. I've been to about 50 countries by now. Wow. Yeah, you did some great. I saw your website briefly. Uh, Give me some of the highlights. Uh, You do more of a like a you like to rough it a little bit. I do. Yeah, I like to go to weird places. (laughs) Give me me some of the weird uh, the highlights of the weird that you travel for fun. Yeah, so I love Mongolia. I still haven't Um, been. No, it's it's I I'm obsessed with Mongolia, so I think I have to go back to Mongolia. I, I I'm thinking kind of every two years needs to be a Mongolia reunion. What is it about um, that you like? I love Mongolia because it's so authentic. Um, there's a lot of countries you go to that are. I think maybe you know there's just so much tourism that it kind of ruined certain places. Right. Um, you know, that it's not maybe the same that it used to be. It kind of affected the culture, you know, the tourism. And when you go to Mongolia, it's just, it's very real. You know, the nomadic people, that is their real life. They are really doing that stuff. It's not a, a trick. It's not a show for us, you know, because we're visiting. Um, it's kind of how their life is. And kind of they still live by their nomadic culture and code and their ways and it's just kind of like going back in time so i really like mongolia and i i feel like i understand mongolia you know like i i drove through mongolia um in a rally car the second time and then the first time that i went i was on kind of mongolian horses and uh, i did like a thousand kilometer kind of mongol mongol derby kind of pony race and um you know when you're in america and you know everything's kind of on a grid and all the streets are parallel and you know i always get lost in cities because it doesn't make sense to me (laughs) that stuff is all parallel and organized right but then for some reason when i'm in mongolia like everything just makes sense you know like the wilderness and everything looks the same and it's just miles of nothingness and it's so great you know that i know exactly where i want to (laughs) go um so, yeah, Mongolia is, is really kind of a special place. Um, so I quite like Mongolia. 
and uh, Bhutan is another one that I, I really like. Um, and I'm planning on going to Bhutan again next year um, because I just went once and that was also with horses. Um, so I, I got to kind of see the country in a very special way. Um, so I'm going to kind of go again next year and, and do that. And then, oh, I like a lot of, yeah, these kind of off the beaten path sort of countries. So I like countries that, I don't know, I think everyone wants to go to Paris or everyone wants to go to, I don't know, wherever. And I like underrated countries, I think. So, you know, Tallinn in Estonia, that place well, is like there. amazing. Yeah, I, I really liked it. Yeah, it's great. And, yeah, and I went, and it, I mean, it snows like eight months out of the year, but I went <laughs> when it was snowy, and um, it was just so quiet and so peaceful, and I, I was in the little old town, just kind of the snow crunching under my feet, and there wasn't any other people, and it was just like kind of a fairy tale, you know? So it right. was it was quite nice, you know? Well, lucky you went, the, it was quiet because you went there in the winter? Well, exactly. Because like, um, <laughs> it's a big cruise ship stop in the summer. Well, that's what I heard. Crowded. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad that I missed that. Yeah. But, uh, um, boy, man, you, you've been to some uh, out-of-the-way places. Yeah, I, mean, I like it. It helps when you're based also in uh, India and places like that. where you Exactly. It's easy to go to. Right. Um, to these kind of places. Um, but, you know, even I think, you know, in England, for example, you know, it it's easy to just kind of, you know, I... I bought a pink mini and um, <laughs> it's like a classic mini. So it's super small. It's like a Mr. Bean car, you oh, know, really one of those old. Oh, I saw one of those yeah. restored in uh, LA the other day. They were so tiny. Oh, it's super cool. And it's super noisy. It's like what when year you, is it? it's 1989. Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, you can't call it <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and um and, and it's bright pink, like the whole thing is pink, so it's amazing. Oh, okay, I got to have to and, see uh, photos even, of that. Yeah, even the little foot pedals are pink and, you know, so even in England, it's very easy to just kind of take a random exit on a random roundabout and just kind of find yourself in some little village. And <laughs> um I kind of found little um kind of jogging trails to go for a little kind of walks and um i just kind of like exploring you know in in random places you know it's only kind of the local people in that area and they just kind of look at me in this bright pink mini like what is she doing here (laughs) (laughs) but you know i'm just like super excited and (laughs) you have got to meet my friend uh dara who lives in london uh with your pink mini because half her house (laughs) is pink and she's just like oh is it (laughs) she would love that car like you wouldn't believe Oh, yeah. Yeah, she'll definitely have to come for a little joyride then. so her style. Yeah. Um, well, man, you've, uh, you've been around a little bit. So what is the plan now? So how long are you going to be in, uh, in England, um, in Northampshire? Where are you again? Northampton? Yeah, Northampton. Northampton. Yeah. Okay. Um, Northamptonshire is the, yeah, what do you call it, county or something like that. Okay. Um, so, yeah, Northampton is the, the city that I'm staying. I'm planning on being here for... About two years, and then I have a big trip planned after that. And by planned, I mean, like, I'm just going to do it. I right. have no plan other than that. Um, <laughs> um, and then, yeah, after that, I'm not sure where where I'll live afterwards. I'm just kind of, I'll see where I end up, I guess. Yeah, this is pretty exciting. Do you, yeah. Does your uh, family still think you're uh, nuts for this lifestyle, or are they kind of accepting now? Well, my mom has figured out that um, me traveling around means she gets to come visit me in uh-huh. these countries. Right. So she's quite clever. And <laughs> so she's gotten to travel to a lot of just crazy places. Like I took her to Timor-Leste of all places. Oh, my God. And um, we had a little mommy adventure there. And <laughs> Boy, she must be pretty uh, adventurous herself. And she's really not. <laughs> she's, oh my gosh. she's one of those like I need a five star hotel kind of people. Oh, and can't I had you just take her to Paris. Left. Why you put her? I should. That? I should. No, I had. I had to. I had to give her an adventure. And um, I had mommy on a little scooty bike with her suitcase and some tiny kind of Asian guy pedaling her up this big mountain. And it was hilarious for me and not so much fun for her. But, <laughs> <laughs> but 
Yeah, so I, I've been having uh, mommy adventures with her. Good and her. Um, yes, she, she comes and she kind of visits me wherever I am. And um, now she's kind of addicted to traveling herself. So she's kind of dragging her husband around to all kinds of countries. Oh, awesome. She's doing, you know, the chateaus and normal stuff with him. Of and course. then the, kind of the crazy stuff with me. So. But her husband doesn't <laughs> come with to the uh, hard places? He hasn't yet, no. Yeah. I think I, I, he's probably a bit scared. Well, they have an agreement and that works for them. Yeah, exactly. So. <laughs> she does the hard stuff. He does the easy stuff. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, any thought, would you come back? Would you live in the U.S. again? Do you think you would ever settle down here? I think it's too late for me. Really? <laughs> I think I'm, I'm too, um, you know, I, I visit, obviously, my, my family in America. And when I go back, yeah, I love going back. And I buy my chocolate chip cookies that I miss so much. And I sure. eat my Mexican food. And I'm like, <laughs> so happy for... A couple of weeks, and then you after that, I'm like, burger, and then you're done. Exactly. I'm like, yeah, it's time to go now. Okay. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I think the biggest thing I, um, when I go back to ca- um, California, you know, because I'm from kind of a smaller town, right. you know, I think maybe it would be a bit different, you know, if I was in a bigger city and there's a lot of internationals, but most of my family is in, you know, right. super America places. And just the people in these kind of areas, you know, I can't really relate to them very much. And they, I think the mindset there, you know, they're just in such a bubble that there's so many things I would love to share with them. But, you know, I just kind of can't. It would be sort of wasted words, you know. That's true of a lot of small towns everywhere, even in other countries. I mean, it's, you're going to get more cosmopolitan people in the big cities. I mean, it might be worth trying living in a big city back here one day. Or even um, Canada or something, or you know. You know. <laughs> no, I don't no, know no, why I'm can't. selling it on. Yeah, I don't. You know, I leave all the time myself. <laughs> I get, I'm not I get that tired of it for sure. Um, uh, no, I think I just I feel more at home. I I think I left America because I didn't feel at home there. Right. Um, and so I feel more at home when I'm in other places. And you know, my home kind of changes every couple of years. You know, I feel super yeah. at home in India when I was there and then after a while it didn't feel at home anymore so I left and it was the same in Egypt or you know wherever so I think for me it's just kind of my personality I think I like the movement I think I will always have a little bit of kind of gypsy blood or whatever you call it um I think I am kind of a nomad like these Mongolians you know they're girl they always move it every year you know based on where the kind of animals graze um so I think that's just kind of something in my my personality. Um, so I don't really see myself necessarily picking one place. I might have a home base at some point, but I think I'll always be bouncing around. So do you see yourself trying a new continent? Maybe you haven't been to, have you done much of like uh, South America or anything? You know, funnily enough, I haven't, I haven't done South America. Oh, a lot of um, horses in like Argentina and oh, yeah. places like yeah, that. Lots of horses. I, I would like to explore. I think in the beginning it was kind of exciting for me to come, you know, over the seas, over here, kind of, over on this side of the world. Right. So I just somehow skipped South America. So I do feel like I would really like to explore there. Um, I'm not sure about if I would want to move to anywhere in particular. I just kind of go with how I feel, you know. If right. I show up somewhere and it, and it feels nice and it feels good, then I might need to spend a lot of time there. Um I think I'm kind of a slow traveler in that sense. Um, so, you know, I don't necessarily see a whole lot of places, but I really kind of absorb one place and then move on to the next. Um, so, yeah, I, w- I would definitely like to explore more. And, and there's so much, you know, places that I haven't been and things I haven't seen that's part of part of the um, the problem with traveling, you know, as you always hear of more and more places. There's and always some place else. Exactly. This is always something, and the bucket list never gets any smaller. <laughs> well, coming so. from a small town, and now that you've seen so much, um, how do you think you've changed as a person from that girl that grew up in that town? And how has it changed the way you maybe interact with people and, and know about people? And how has it affected you? How are you a different person now than when, before you did all this? I've definitely changed in a lot of ways, um, but I could say, I think, mo like most of the 
things that I've noticed in myself and it's all, it's all positive stuff. You know, it's, it's this kind of universal language, you know, even when you don't speak the language of people, people are still people and there's still this kind of way of communicating and sharing the basic, you know, crying is still crying and laughter is still laughter and smiling is still smiling. And I think I've changed a lot because I think when I was in America, I didn't necessarily interact um, in a very meaningful way with a lot of my peers or people that I went to school with or something, you know, your, your bestest buddies, but in a surface way, maybe. And then, you know, traveling has really, I think, allowed me to be vulnerable and let a lot of walls down mm-hmm. in a way that I'm, I'm actually happy to do that, you know? And so I think now I can kind of connect with people much better and it's a much more positive experience and I can actually listen to people's stories. And even if I don't have an answer or I can't solve, you know, whatever it is that they're talking about or, you know, whatever, but I, I have such an understanding and I have such a, you know, I've actually seen things with my own eyes now and I've experienced, um, hardships and things. And, you know, I, I have, um, I guess kind of a bigger heart to kind of give them, you know, what they need in that moment. And I think that's kind of one of the the things that stands out for me. That's great. Um, so if people want to uh, follow your adventures, uh, give us the website and uh, Instagrams and everything else where people can find you. Yeah. So it's uh, chriscolumbustravel.com and it's K-R-Y-S Columbus, K-O-L-U-M-B-U-S travel.com. And my Instagram is also Chris Columbus Travel. Um, my Facebook page is, it's all on my website. Um, so I think it's easy to find from my website. I have a YouTube channel also. Um, of some of my crazy adventures, like when I drove this pink car from England to Mongolia. Um, <laughs> I have funny I'm videos. That. I'm going to watch that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I have these kind of funny videos and just random stuff, yeah. And and definitely if anyone wants to kind of connect with me and, and stuff, you know, just send me a message. I'm happy, happy to talk, yeah. Well, send me all the uh, links and I'll put them on our website as well and hopefully people, will, if, if they don't find you, like, from right there, they'll go to uh, TravelTalesPodcast.com and they'll see you and they'll hear this and uh, they can just click on the links. So you can send me all that stuff. Yes, sounds good. But this is awesome. It was great to meet you. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, it's fun. I mean, I talk a lot and uh, I'm glad you, you put up with it. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm sorry. I just missed you in, uh, in England. I would have just, uh, we could have done this in person. Yeah, yeah, that would have been cool. <laughs> I would just, That's, yeah, oh, next, well. time. <laughs> next time. Next time, next <laughs> time. Yeah. But uh, all right, well, thank you so much. Yeah, yeah, thanks. Okay, that's Crystal, everybody. Okay.